Hello, I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Dr. Chelsea Yarborough. Dr. Yarborough is Assistant Professor of African-American Preaching, Sacred Rhetoric, and Black Practical Theology at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thank you, Dr. Yarborough, for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ooh. So... When I learned the word taxidermist, I said I wanted to be a taxidermist, <laughs> which is interesting because I think I just like the word taxidermist. Vocabulary um, is so important. Because <laughs> I would have never wanted to do that. But I actually have an interesting story about that in that um, when I was in kindergarten, they asked us to draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. You know, people were drawing police and firefighters and all kinds of things. And I drew a world um, where I colored all of the water green and all of the land blue. And I had all these little like, you know, stick figures around this world. And my teacher asked me, Chelsea, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what is this? And I was like, I want to change the world with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I've always just wanted to do something. I didn't have a grasp on exactly what it was. And I've been saying that most of my life. It's like, I don't know quite what the occupation is, but I know I want to do something. That changes the world with my friends. And so my mom still has that drawing, loves to tell the story, but I think it's a good one. Nice, nice. Um, who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Mm. Really my grandmother. My grandmother was, a my mom's mom was an English teacher who got her master's degree while being a single parent. Um, and so when I became a teacher, she really like felt like I had, um, followed into her footsteps and, you know, was able to, she felt like that was a moment she was able to give me some advice and tips, um, which from her felt newer than in other spaces I had been in. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? That's hard. It's like everybody and everything. <laughs> I feel like so much of, so much about teaching is paying attention um, to the world and being able to synthesize. But the face that comes to mind for me is Dale P. Andrews, um, who was my advisor uh, before he passed and dear friend and just who made it possible for me to think about what it meant to play in the classroom, but still kind of be like a little bit of a menace <laughs> and still uh, kind of in insight conflict, but in ways that felt ethical and generous um, and kind. And so I saw him mentor people without harassing them and really like want folks to become their best and most full and most present selves without needing to like insert his his expertise into it. And so um, we talked a lot about teaching and I really, he helped me develop my understanding of teaching as a part of being a coach and being able to like sit with people through their many journeys. Yeah. Dale Andrews is, is missed and was, uh, I'm going to say a pedagogical genius, right? The man was yes. just marvelous, just marvelous. What has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? 
<laughs> how much I hate grading. I know it sounds so bad. <laughs> oh my God. It has genuinely surprised me. And now I feel so bad for all the teachers where I was like, where's my grade? <laughs> or are you going to turn in it? You told me you would have it yesterday. Like I loved an email and now I'm like, yikes. Oh my goodness. Um, and I think a part of it is just like grading for me feels I don't want to feedback feels like a very valuable thing. Assigning a grade to it feels very superfluous for me a lot of times. And so trying to navigate and negotiate how I grade and what I'm grading students on, particularly in my discipline of preaching and worship, it's just it just feels like uh, an ongoing struggle. And so it surprised me that I would I knew it wasn't my favorite thing, but it surprised me that I would like actively hate it. What is your favorite nickname by which you were called by a loving person? I think Auntie. When my little when my littles call me Auntie or TT, it's just something that uh it feels just so warm and beloved. And I just am I feel very grateful for my friends who allow me to be an auntie to their littles. And so that's my favorite nickname, Auntie. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Oh, attempt. So I, that means I have to just, my initial ritual was an heiress, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I would like to attempt the life of a socialite. <laughs> I will be empress of the world. I would like to attempt being an empress. Um, What would I like to attempt? What would I attempt? I think being like a coach in some form, like a spiritual director or life coach or um, yeah, kind of that realm. I just really like seeing people develop and grow. So if it's not the classroom, I'll just like create some more spaces (laughs) to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is your preference for ink, pen or writing utensil? So do you enjoy writing by hand? And if you do, do. like, do you have a favorite ink, pen or writing utensil? I do. Yeah, I'm very particular. I prefer the Evergel pens that um, specifically in purple, blue, or black. Uh, but my one of my friends bought me some fancy pen, and I was I'm, I wish I had it with me because that thing writes like butter. I feel like I can only write certain things with it, but I like pens that I don't feel like I have to work hard to write with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. What's your superpower? Or in your case, I'm going to say, what are your superpowers? <laughs> What's my superpower? Someone actually reflected this back to me, and I do think it's a superpower. So I'll name two of them. The first superpower that I have is that I legitimately like don't care if someone else doesn't think something's interesting. <laughs> like if I am curious about it, I will follow it. And I feel like that has served me really well, even though I got, you know, laughed at when I was younger, or sometimes you were like, What are you doing? But I feel like it's really allowed me to be a really robust person. So my like unwillingness to people like curiosity killed the cat. And my response is always, that's why it has nine lives. Like mm-hmm. I'm always going to keep going. But I think one of my other superpowers is the ability to say really hard things to people in ways they can hear. Um, conflict is a commitment of the classroom for me. And so it's not, and it's not a diplomacy. It's a tenderness. And I think it's really speaking from the heart to the heart in a way that's like, people are like, how did you say that to them? They didn't get mad. It's like, cause I wasn't mad. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. And so I, I found that to be really helpful. Um, 
And I think my third is the ability to nap at any time. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a superpower. People are like, oh my gosh, Chelsea, how don't you, you don't drink caffeine. How come, how do you live? How'd you get a PhD? It's like, cause I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm very confused by the fact that people are not sleeping. So those are my three that I'll name. I tell people I can sleep on a picket fence. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, and they're like, why are you tired? I'm like, not actively, but if you tell me, hey, Jos, you should take a nap, I'm saying, I agree. Yes. Yes. What's your favorite curse word? Ooh. <laughs> Dang, it's like each one serves a different purpose. This is what happens when you talk to a word nerd. I really like shit because I feel like I can say it in so many different ways. Like it can mean different things. It can be like, dang, that's really fire or get out of my face. Or, it's just so many. It's just so robust. <laughs> I like mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. How have you survived certain violences in teaching? <sighs> I feel like the one that I'm encountering most frequently is like the overt questioning of my authority in the classroom. Um, and I think a part of it is that, uh, I mean, I'm a woman, I'm a black woman. I'm also a young woman. Um, and my general demeanor is pretty like friendly and cheerful. And so folks kind of combine all those things and try to make that seem childish and, or patronizing. And so I've had a lot of encounters with lots of different demographics, um, in their own ways, trying to like assert particular authorities in the classroom um that is not theirs like trying to change the syllabus like in the middle of me talking about it or telling me oh you're so sweet uh or calling me honey that was that was a real moment and so the way that i survived and kind of moved through is one uh through good mentorship having people i can call and be like what in the world um and having them help me think through it. But I think the second thing is before I step in the classroom, I remind myself who I am. And so I have my own little um, little mantra that I say for most things, but I really do. And I've made it a ritual before the classroom is like, Chelsea, today be excellent and be well. But if you can't be excellent, be well, because that's excellent. And that has really served me because in the classroom, I will choose my wellness over some superfluous idea of excellence. So that might mean I step out. It might mean I in class early. It might mean I ask that student um, and invite them to a posture of silence as well. <laughs> so um, really banking on me being well in the classroom has been helpful for me. Which kind of leads into the next question. What healings have you witnessed or received in your teaching? Um, I, I don't, I didn't know that I was doing this until this is back to Dale, who I named earlier. I didn't know that I was doing this until someone reflected it back to me. And it was Dale when he, when I did my first lecture as a first year PhD student, I was terrified. And he said, you're so brilliant. I wonder why you say everything as a question. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, your tone is saying like, I'm asking and he was like, I hope at some point those questions become statements. And so I'm a I'm a spiritualist, I'm a chakra person. And so I feel like so much of my third chakra has been healed and opened up through the practice of teaching and learning how to say statements, not by way of asserting 
absoluteness, because that's really not how I roll, but as a way of being confident that like what I say is worth saying as a as a statement from me and not always asking a question of if it's valid. So that's been the healing for me. And I think that the more that I step fully into my voice, the more I'm able to handle the multiplicity of voices that shows up in my students and allow them all to exist in one room as opposed to us all tap, you know, tiptoeing around each other and never actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of a lot of throat shocker work happens in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, and your particularity aids diversity. It doesn't detract from the diversity. So claiming yeah. who you are is a part of pluralism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. What have you enjoyed most about the teaching life? I just love the idea of just creating experiences. Like I can't believe someone lets me build a whole syllabus and then just be like, this is what we're going to teach. That's wild. Like I get to find the books. I get to find the articles. Um, I love that all of my classes prioritize black women's voices prior. And so I don't have to be like, this is a black women's class on preaching for most of our books and articles to be black women. Um, And I, I really, I think that has been one of the most satisfying experiences, both for my Black women students and not, um, because they reflected it back to me as it being something otherwise. Like I had a student in my last class who came up to me, um, a white male who came up to me and was like, I don't think I've ever had a class where none of the writers were white. And I was like, yeah, probably not. And then he goes, "I, I... I'm better for it. (laughs) like, And it was just a really cool moment of, I mean, I'm explicit. I said it the first day of class, just a heads up. If you're wondering if I missed something, I didn't. Um, And it was just, that has been just really rewarding is realizing that like the thing that makes me make, brings me joy. The thing that um, I want to study in my own curiosities is also something really worth and valuable teaching and even when it makes people uncomfortable, that doesn't mean they don't grow well. And that's cool. Last question. When you are old and have been teaching for a long, long, long time, what miracles will you have performed? I think creating knowledge is a miracle. Like, I think it is something that, I think that's why I find so much delight in the classroom because you you witness Sometimes it feels like an out-of-body experience, but I feel like I witness myself in some ways feeling like a channel sometimes and just like speaking to students and inviting them into otherwise knowledge. And so if the miraculous is the otherwise, is the thing that moves us, pushes us beyond the mundane, I think the classroom is the perfect ground for those seeds to grow and flourish. And so I think I will have witnessed many miracles and probably called them all learning. So why don't you and I do a silhouette interview like every three or four years until you retire so then we can compare and contrast across the arc of your career. I love this for me. And I hope that one of those interviews, I say I have no, I no longer grade. <laughs> because I'm right. I have transcended me. grading. I have transcended <laughs> grading. And I can share with the folks how. <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea, so much um, for your candidness, right? Thank you. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place to get the information. Look on our website for details about our hybrid workshops, our writing colloquies, as well as our roundtables. Also, our educational resources are on our website, as well as information about our regranting program.
A special thanks to sound engineer Paul Myrie and to podcast producer Rachel Mills. The music which frames our silhouette podcast is the original composition of Dr. Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 27 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How is that, Paul? Mm-hmm.